If you don't have your Bibles open yet, would you please turn to Romans chapter 12? I'm excited to share with you part two in our series, For the Common Good Two. Today, we're going to primarily look at verse three as you're turning there. Uh, just as a way of review, last week we looked at spiritual gifts, placement, and priority in Paul's letter from verses one and two of Romans 12. We showed you that chapter 12 is a transitional moment of Paul's discussion from theology to doxology, from what we should believe to how we should live. And he answers the question in verse one, how do we present our bodies as living sacrifices? Then verses three through five are clarifying statements about spiritual gifts, and they reference humility and variety. And then verses six through eight is a list of spiritual gifts with requirements on how to use them. And they reference their functionality with profitability. And so our take-home truth is gonna be the same this entire series for five weeks. And the take-home truth is this. Spiritual gifts are God's common good manifestations that flow from inside-out transformation from his mercy rich salvation. And it is our prayer that you will see that highlighted every single week as we continue on in our series today. Today, we will discuss Paul's cautions when it comes to spiritual gifts. And he describes the necessity for sobriety with humility from verse three. So just as a further review, can I read for us verses one through three from Romans chapter 12? It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This morning, I mainly want us to look at the two cautions that Paul addresses in verses two and three. Then we will end with three amazing results when we accurately understand ourselves, God's grace, and spiritual gifts. So two cautions before we dive in to spiritual gifts. And these cautions will help us keep our feet on the ground before we discuss giftings. I hope you notice that the first warning is in verse two. And the first warning is that misunderstanding the gospel leads to behavior modification only, not life transformation. Paul says this in verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So he says the goal in verse one is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then the caution or warning is that it's possible to have good motives, but to be unable to do what you desire to do. He's saying this, if we aim to please God, which is verse one, without understanding the only way to please God, which is verse two, 
We will merely try different things and never find the real life transformation that only the gospel can produce. It's similar to the warning card on the top of a package. You ever get something from Amazon or you buy it from Best Buy and you open up the package? On the very top of the package is either a warning card or on the top of the instruction manual is a big stop sign. And it's telling you, please don't proceed any further unless you have some basic understanding of what it's gonna take to put this together or to install this please don't go any farther. Please read the instructions. Be capable of doing what it's going to ask you to do. About a year ago, uh, my family, we bought a Nest thermostat. And there is nothing I know less about than HVAC and electrical. But we decided, man, YouTube made it look so easy. We're like, man, we can do this. We can install this. And so we brought the package home. We opened it up. I took the owner's manual out and I set it aside because I'm a man and I just thought I can do this. How hard could it be? And so we decided to install the Nest thermostat. Well, about three hours later, the Nest thermostat was not installed and I had lost power to my HVAC unit. We had no heat or air conditioning. So because I was a failure at installing this and unable to do it myself, I had to call an electrician. The electrician, the expert came, and he was at my house no longer than five minutes. And he was able to diagnose the problem, solve the situation, and tell me that my house is not capable to use a Nest thermostat. And so all that, I paid him an hour's worth of work for about five minutes of labor because I was incompetent and didn't know what I was doing. This is similar to Paul's warning to us If you don't accurately understand the gospel, please don't move on to trying to please God with your lifestyle. If you don't understand the basics, if you don't understand the theology that is required, then you'll never be able to put it into practice or to do what God asks you to do. You see, it would be a terrible tragedy that after 11 chapters in the book of Romans on the gospel, that we come to the conclusion that I got this. I can do what God is asking us to do. I'll be fine. You, You can't. As we read through Romans, the first 11 chapters constantly remind us that we cannot do what is required. Only God can save us. Only he can forgive us. Only he can adopt us. Only he can redeem us. And then chapter 12 reminds us again that the transformation that the gospel brings is God-produced, not man-induced. This is Paul's warning to stop. Don't move any further unless you understand this does not happen through conformity, only by transformation. I think what Paul is preparing us for is that as we move into practical Christian living, don't think it comes by willpower. Instead, it only comes by the power of God through the gospel. The second warning is found in verse three. And the second warning is this, misunderstanding spiritual gifts leads to either an inflated ego or a deflated ego. See, he wants the goal to be that we understand and use our spiritual gifts well. 
But the warning is that this topic could create a false view of yourself. Verse three is like the warning on a, on a pill bottle. It references how to use it, how often to take it, and any possibilities of misuse and what the results could be. That warning tells us that what is inside the pill bottle is good and helpful, but misused could have tragic results. Verse three is Paul telling us that misunderstanding spiritual gifts or misusing spiritual gifts may result in a misunderstanding of yourself. Specifically, he references that you could have an inflated ego or a deflated ego, which both of them miss the point. Notice Paul says at the beginning of verse three, by the grace given to me, I say to you. Paul starts them off by reminding them that this is his very story. I, Paul, formally misunderstood myself. That's what he tells us at the beginning of verse three. Paul, now a recipient of grace, he didn't rightly understand himself until this grace appeared. In Philippians chapter three is Paul telling us a little bit about himself and how he thought. It says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul, before he understood the gospel, he put his confidence in his accomplishments. Paul after the gospel, he put his confidence in Christ, in Christ alone. Then Paul moves into giving us three ways that we can rightly think about ourselves. And these are, these are so helpful. The first he tells us is to not think too highly. This is the idea of humility. He says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Man, many of us struggle with doing the very same thing that Paul did. You see, Paul looked at his accomplishments. He looked at his abilities. He looked at his pedigree, and he came to the conclusion that he was pretty great. Not until Paul encountered Christ was he able to write Romans 7. At the end of Romans 7, Paul says this, O wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? You see, in Philippians chapter three, it sure didn't sound like Paul viewed himself as a wretched man before he met Christ. He had an inflated, a high view of himself. But now, because of the gospel, he's able to see himself clearly as a sinner in need of a savior. You see, it's the grace given to us 
that allows us to not think too highly of ourselves. It's the grace of God that humbles us. And it's the grace of God through humility that points us to our great need of the gospel. But second of all, we're not supposed to think too lowly of ourselves either. This is the idea of sobriety. He says in verse three, but to think with sober judgment. Sober judgment means to think clearly or to think accurately. It has the idea of a judge who weighs the evidence. It doesn't mean to think lowly of yourself or, or as worthless. It means to think accurately. You know the word sober. The word sober means to be in your right mind as opposed to intoxicated or to be out of your right mind. When I was in uh, high school, my senior year, I had a good friend of mine. He went on a, a crazy spring break trip. And I remember him coming back from spring break and he, and he was all beat up. He had a split lip, he had a black eye, he was bruised, his face just looked pretty beat up. And I remember asking him, man, what, what happened? And he told me that on spring break, he did a little bit of partying. And one night when he was intoxicated, he convinced himself that he could jump over the pool. So from one side of the concrete over the water to the other side of the concrete. And because he was intoxicated, he was not thinking clearly about himself. He was not able to jump the pool and he beat up his face pretty good on the concrete. And I remember him coming back and us talking and, and he admitted that if he was sober-minded, he would have thought more clearly about himself and not had an inflated view of himself. And this is exactly what Paul is referencing. Not to think lowly of ourselves, but to think accurately about, us, about ourselves. You see, to be a Christian doesn't mean we, we hate ourselves. It just means we don't idolize ourselves. We think accurately about ourselves. We're able to discern who we really are. At the last point, I mentioned Romans chapter seven. Now I'd like to reference Romans chapter eight. You see, in just one chapter later, Paul says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Man, think about it, that just for a second. In the same thought, Paul reminds us that we are both wretched and conquerors. Isn't that interesting? You see, I think Paul knows something each of us need to learn. And that is that we are deeply sinful and at the same time, deeply valued by God. This is how we think rightly of ourselves, not too highly. We understand our sinfulness not too lowly, we understand our value. See, Christ showed this when he walked on the earth with his disciples. Jesus used completely flawed disciples to turn the world upside down. These men were flawed, wretched sinners, yet completely loved, loved and valued by God. And Christ and his love and mercy continues to do that today with us. One of my favorite quotes is by C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis says this, 
that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's a beautiful quote, and that helps us to understand this idea of sobriety, thinking of ourselves less. You see, a mature Christian is not so focused on themselves because they are so focused on Christ. And that's the goal. That's how we should think of ourselves. And then the last one, how do we think accurately about ourselves? Is we are recipients of gifts. Paul, all throughout verses one through three of Romans chapter 12, reminds us that everything we have been given comes from God. Look at these phrases through the first several verses. In verse one, he tells us that the mercies of God or the mercies from God. So God grants us mercy and it's from him. In verse three, he says, the grace given to me. He references that even grace is a gift from God to us. At the end of verse three, he says this phrase, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul's referencing that even the faith that he has to believe in Christ, to believe the gospel, that has been assigned from God. Paul knows that grace, mercy, and faith are all gifts from God to us. And then as you continue on in the chapter, Paul reminds us that every spiritual gift is from God, that even the manifestations of the Spirit are gifts to us. And please, please let us not forget that the Holy Spirit himself is a gift, that Christ laughed and told us that the Comforter would come, and that would be a gift to us, that God would indwell inside of us as as a gift to us. So what a beautiful reminder that we are merely recipients of gifts. That's a great way to to think clearly about ourselves. So we want to, to think clearly about ourselves. And Paul, in this beautiful chapter, gives us helpful ways to do just that. We're not to think too highly. We're not to think too lowly. And we're merely recipients of gifts. I love this quote from Ray Ortland in his book called The Gospel. He says this, we either proudly believe we are too good to be judged or we proudly believe we are too bad to be saved. So the gospel is a continual surprise and we need to hear it again and again. And that's exactly what Paul is doing for us. Before we move on, to spiritual gifts, we must understand the grace of God accurately. We must view ourselves accurately so that we can live for God boldly. I wanna summarize our time tonight with uh, three results. Three results of accurately understanding God's grace. And I think if we take what Paul is highlighting in these two warnings, if we accurately understand God's grace, accurately understand ourselves, and accurately understand spiritual gifts, then we'll live this way. So here are three results to understanding God's grace. Number one, if we understand God's grace, we will be transformed by the gospel. 
That's exactly what he referenced in verse two, is that when grace appears, when we believe the gospel, we will cherish the gospel and we will boast in it instead of ourselves. Conformity will just lead you to boast in yourself, to look at your accomplishments, to look at what you're able to do, and that will create pride. But when we cherish the gospel, it transforms us and we become boasters of Christ instead of ourselves. The second result of understanding accurately God's grace is we will be humbled by grace. You see, when we understand grace and the beautiful gift that it is, it helps us balance the reality that we are both deeply sinful and deeply valued. The moment you understand the truth about who you are and the radical grace that God has given us, it helps us to hold those two ideas equally. Our wretchedness and that we are more than conquerors, as Paul articulates for us in Romans 7 and 8. And lastly, a result of accurately understanding God's grace is that we will be empowered by the Spirit. And church, this is exactly where we're going next. When we understand God's grace, it helps us. It will help us to live boldly for God. It will help us to boldly use our gifts while staying completely dependent upon God. And it'll keep us humble while we use them. See, that's, that's the danger. As we're gonna look at ahead is we're gonna look at specific gifts, specific giftings, and we're gonna see that maybe certain are more valuable than others, which is completely not true. And so when we understand accurately God's grace and it just empowers us to be obedient, however God desires to use us, whatever opportunity he gives us, it just gives us the boldness to say yes. We'll obey. God, we will do whatever you ask us to do. And that keeps us dependent because we understand the giftings are not our own. They're not something that we've created or something we're just good at. They are spirit empowered, given to us as a gift. It helps us to use them well. And I'm excited to continue to dive into that in the following weeks. So First Family Church, man, my prayer, my heart's desire is that this faith community would be filled with people who have been transformed by the gospel, humbled by grace, and empowered by the Spirit. And I am convinced if that is accurate, true of this faith community, that we could change a city, that we could change the world for the honor and glory of God alone and desire no credit from it at all. That's, that's, I think, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Church, can I pray for us? Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for what we've looked at today, Father, as we've seen Paul's great desire for us to use spiritual gifts with boldness. And even as we've looked at these two cautions, Father, I pray that you would protect us from, from number one is, is misunderstanding the gospel and the grace that you've given to us. And second of all, that we would misevaluate or misdefine ourselves. Father, help us to understand that we are merely recipients of gifts that you have lavished upon us, mercy and grace and faith. 
And all of that is so that we would boldly serve you and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the world. Father, help us to keep those in check. I pray that you would protect us from pride, from when you use us. Protect us from thinking too lowly of ourselves when we don't see radical giftings or certain giftings, Father. Help us to keep all of that in balance, Father, because all of this is for your honor and your glory alone, not for our name's sake at all. So Father, I pray for our church that we would be people who boldly live and serve for you. We love you. Thank you for the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ. In Christ's precious name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.